Dr. Janina Fisher. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on this podcast. Um, I'm, it, it's hard to get a hold of you. I heard that you're very busy. I heard you were on a, you, you did a free webinar uh, recently where I, I heard there was like 30,000 people to come hear you speak about the topic of trauma. Yes, yes, it impressed me. And the most impressive thing, the mo most moving uh, aspect for me was these were people from a hundred different countries around the world. And it just goes to show that trauma is an international problem and people who've been affected by trauma or who, who help those who've been traumatized are a worldwide community. You know, it's, it's interesting you're mentioning how it's, it, I guess, the universality of the issue. What do you say, 100 countries that joined yeah. your webinar? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, amazing. Uh, um, it just makes me, uh, the first thing I'm thinking of is you're involved uh, as a consultant in this new project called Fresh Start Retreat Center, which is mm -hmm. very much geared toward the Orthodox Jewish community. And I just, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. Here's an issue that, which is so ubiquitous, so it transcends cultural uh, and, and national borders, and it basically, like you said, 100 countries. And yet mm -hmm. here's a program that's catering toward a sort of um, very specific subculture or community. Yes, but a very underserved community. A very underserved community and a very traumatized community. Because I, you know, I, I just want to before before you explain that, I just I want to say what I, listeners are are probably thinking, which is, hey, don't call me traumatized. You just said me and my community are disproportionately traumatized. That's an insult because <laughs> that's what they're thinking. I'm saying it because they're thinking it. Okay, okay, and so I. You know, this might be actually an important point. So thank you for catching that. Because something's wrong in a world where we consider traumatized a, a bad sign. You know, the history of the Jews is the history of survival of trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. And, and you know, and I believe that, that many, many, um, groups carry intergenerational effects of, of trauma over centuries. Maybe this is putting you on the spot, but you've worked with, I mean, you've worked with people from 100 countries. You've worked with everybody. Do you see any particular challenge um, that is idiosyncratic or peculiar to the treatment of trauma for those coming from the religious Jewish community? Is there anything that's different, culturally specific or otherwise? I, I think there are, I think there are a number of things. Um, I think the, I think the risk of, of, discrimination, anti-Semitism is higher um, 
toward the Orthodox community. And, and so, so that's, you know, even if nothing anti-Semitic happens for a hundred years, it's not going to take away the fear because, because the history is too long. Mm-hmm. Right? You're, I, you have the Pesach Seder is coming up. I don't want to scare you by cleaning for Passover. <laughs> I know you don't say to a Jewish woman before Passover, Passover is coming. But uh, I'm just thinking in the Haggadah where it says, this is what stood up for us in every generation. They, they, they rose up against us to annihilate us. I mean, it's right there in Maxwell House, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, so that's, that's very important. Um, also, um, there's a whole body of, of literature now in my field that based on research, on attachment research, that shows when parents are frightening, angry, not, not necessarily abusive, but of course abusive would be frightening too, but angry or parents who appear frightened cause children to be frightened. So, so, you know, despite their very best efforts, parents can inadvertently frighten their children simply by their own fear. You know, I, I, I wanna speak in with respect and, and affection for the beautiful families and devoted parenting in the community, but just to say that that a legacy of fear can lead to to our inadvertently scaring the next generation or the next generation. And it's not intentional. No. I mean some parents of all, you know, of all communities, races, ethnicities, religions, scare their children on purpose. But that's a small minority and it's not exclusive to any one group. And this, not only is it not intentional, it sounds like you're saying it may not even be conscious on the part of the parents. They don't know they're living in fear and they don't know they're imparting fear into their children. Right, or they may think I'm disciplining my children, not realizing that if they are threatening, if they are big and loud, children can be frightened. So you might have a mother who's carrying a lot of fear because her mother carried a lot of fear and her grandparents and great-grandparents suffered traumatic experiences that were, that left an increased legacy of fear for the next generation and the next generation. That mother is doing her best to be the best parent she can be, but the children feel the fear. Wow. And they feel, they might feel the fear of, of getting sick. They might feel the fear of not eating enough. They might feel the fear of not achieving uh, well enough. So there are all kinds of fear that, you know, um, I was just thinking of, of 
something that came up at Fresh Start uh, with, with people who, who say, I, I suffered these things because God hates me. That's a very frightening thought, mm -hmm. right? So if you grow up believing God hates me, God only wants the worst for me, um, that's, that's a very big legacy to carry. And, you know, when you, when you say that, like that somebody, an adult, believes God hates me. So first of all, just from, from a human place, it just, it, it tears my heart out to hear it. But then put on my professional rabbi hat for a second and, and immediately I think to myself, well, what person totally miseducated you and, and gave you such wrong theology that's not true, that's not what Tover teaches, God does not hate you, where did you get that idea? So my rabbi brain starts telling me, you know what I need to do? I need to teach this person a good class that will explain to them and they'll finally get it, God doesn't hate you, God loves you. Tell me why that's not gonna work. Cause I know it doesn't work cause I've given that speech a thousand times and I know it doesn't work. Tell me why it doesn't work. It doesn't work because in, if you're a tiny child, your, your parents feel like God. And if they treat you well, it's easy to believe in a loving benevolent God. But if your parents treat you harshly if they abuse you. And, and again, not necessarily because they're bad people. Not because they're bad people. Again, in any community around the world, there will be some parents, who, and I wouldn't even call them bad people. I think the percentage of bad people in the world is a very small percent. Um, I would say most parents who abuse their kids do so because they're overwhelmed, they're frightened, they're so angry and they lose control. Mm -hmm. Now, any of us as a parent, right? Show, any parent who says, I never got angry at my child. Right, they're lying. They're lying, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, but if your parents treat you harshly and abusively, that reinforces this idea that they hate me, therefore God must hate me. So you're telling me I can be the best rabbi in the whole world. Okay. And <laughs> maybe I am. <laughs> okay. And I'm so I could be so eloquent and have all the sources and all the proofs and all the logic. And I will not be able to convince somebody to give up thinking God hates them and convince them that God loves them. Um, until we've dealt with how that misconception was embedded in them in the first place. Well, actually, I think, I think you have a chance to do something preventive because I think if you say, parents, how we treat our children is, is a reflection of what that child will come to believe about God. But if you believe in a God that doesn't hate, then you must treat your children, even on the, their worst day or your worst day, 
um, as if you were that loving, forgiving God. So profound, whether what you were saying, there, there, there's a... I mean, just as a rabbi, I immediately go there. The idea of a holach de bedrochov, which is to emulate, literally means following God's ways, means to emulate God. And, and our sages in the Talmud, it says, just as he, he is compassionate, you should be compassionate. Just, so, so just as he is gracious, you should be gracious. So literally, this is something our sages told us, that yeah. we as humans should emulate those divine attributes. And you're saying that, like, it, it, it's, it's more than just, you know, it's a mitzvah for me to emulate God, but you're saying as a parent, it's a double whammy because my child is literally gaining their, the, 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 the framework for their theology for the rest of their life based on how I treat them. Let me change the subject a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, before I, I said, you know, hey, don't you call me traumatized? And you were saying, well, you know, it's not an insult, you know, it's, especially if you're Jewish. It's, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a fact. Like we said, it says it in the Haggadah. So could you tell me a little bit, I guess the word we would use is stigma. I don't know if that's the word that you would use, but the popular misconception, what do people get wrong? What do people misunderstand about, about this label? You know, I think this is a true international problem. Um, for many people, trauma suggests that you were weak. You know, combat veterans are often deeply ashamed of their post-traumatic stress because they're supposed to be strong and, and uh, invincible. Um, I think, actually, I think one of the remarkable things about the Israeli army is the, I think, the amount of support um, and the, the degree to which there's a sense of community, right, everyone's going to serve, um, reduces post-traumatic stress. At least in this country, we tend to look on post-traumatic stress as weakness, especially in men. Um, you know, child abuse is a topic nobody wants to talk about because it's so horrifying to be aware of the actual statistical um, um, incidents. You know, one in four female children, one in six male children are the statistics that we use in the field. Right, that's an awful high um, rate of traumatic experience in childhood. Um, until you know, until 9-11, trauma was a word that wasn't used in the general public. And 9-11 kind of woke up the world to the fact that an event can traumatize an entire nation as well as an entire city, as well as people all over the world watching. So, and now of course, we've had so many, many, many um, traumatic world events. Now, I was struck when I was in Israel in, in 2018, speaking to, to Israeli therapists who, who work with 
traumatized individuals, traumatized by what's happening in these last 20 years, and the therapists also experiencing the same events that frighten and traumatize their clients. The other thing that I don't think is realized is that, is that it isn't just when we're attacked that we are traumatized. So you could think it's the, the moment the other car hits yours, it's the moment that you're assaulted. Um, those are the traumatic moments, the moments you're shot at. But actually, with trauma, what happens is your body continues to anticipate the next traumatic event and the next traumatic event. So it isn't that was terrible and now it's over. Mm -hmm. Because the brain and body remain in a state of fear and vigilance. You know, it's the, there's an expression, I don't know if they use this in the field, but there's an expression, a very, you know, a, a very common idiomatic expression about waiting for the other shoe to drop. Absolutely. Right? You're like you're, you're in your apartment and your upstairs neighbor, you hear them drop their shoe. Now everyone, you know, most people have two feet. So if you hear one shoe drop, it's just a matter of time before the second shoe drops. And if you don't hear the second shoe drop, you're like, you're waiting, waiting. When's it going to drop? When's it going to drop? Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and, and so that's, that's the huge problem. Um, there's only been one 9-11, but the fear, uh, the fear remains. Um, I was once teaching in New York, oh, probably six, five, six years ago, and doing an exercise where I asked the, the, uh, my students, all trained therapists, to just look out the window and notice the sky, the trees. And probably five or six of them started having flashbacks of 9-11 because it was a beautiful blue sky that day. Mm. And then suddenly these, the images of the planes hitting the towers. So, so the, the trauma remains with us as an anticipation of the next shoe and the next shoe and the next shoe. And the more shoes that have dropped in our lives, the more our bodies are going to be in this state of fearful anticipation. So I'm gonna jump on a word that you used there, which is our body. Our body is, is, is in a state of fearful anticipation. Why do you say it's the body specifically? Why not the mind? I mean, if it's a psychological issue, you would you would think of it as being a, a mental thing. But you're saying it's like a, a physical bodily thing. Why do you describe it that way? That's that's what we have learned in the last 20 years. Remember, the trauma field is a young field. Post-traumatic stress wasn't even recognized until 1970. You know, depression has been recognized for centuries. Anxiety has been recognized for centuries. Um, and it took, it took a long time for researchers to realize 
that what perpetuates the effects of trauma are the bodily responses. So mentally, we might remember the event. Mentally, we might be scared to go back to that, you know, that street again, or we, or we might be scared to encounter that person again. But it's the body that keeps anticipating the other shoe to drop. Actually, it'd be really an interesting thing. We, we should all, next time we're waiting for a shoe to drop, we should all notice, uh, is it my body that's waiting for the other shoe to drop or my mind? Mm-hmm. Meaning, am I preoccupied thinking about it or are my muscles tightened? Am I, am I you know, I'm sweating or my heart's beating? Exactly, exactly. So there, I have your next uh, experiment for you. We could. <laughs> Great. You, you, you give, me, you give, me, give me attribution. Tau yeah, et yeah. al. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, but here's the other thing that makes it difficult. If your mind is thinking that other shoe is going to drop, that other shoe is going to drop, you know why you're anxious. Oh, but if wow. you just tense up and your heart starts pounding, you don't know what your body's response. Wow. And if it's something that happened five years ago or 20 years ago, no, unless you have learned from a therapist to understand that that tensing and tightening and wanting to, you know, become invisible is a trauma response. You, you may think there's something wrong with me. I'm crazy. You might think it's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my children's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. So, so it's actually very difficult for traumatized people because they're having traumatic reactions to ordinary things all the time and not having a clear understanding of where those reactions are coming from. I wanna jump on something here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're saying a person is reacting to normal non-threatening stuff mm-hmm. as if it were threatening, because the body is you know, in that state of what you call fearful anticipation, right? So you said, I might think it's my wife's fault. I might think it's my husband's fault. I might think it's my children's fault. I want to flip the question now. What if you're that spouse of that person who thinks you're the enemy, even though you're not doing anything to hurt them? Maybe even you're walking on eggshells to be loving and supportive and your spouse is traumatized, doesn't even know it's trauma, and is reading your communication as if it were threat, threatening. Talk to about the, the constellation of people around the trauma victim. Absolutely. And, and you know, anxiety is contagious. So, so for people who carry a lot of fear in their bodies, um, it makes other people around them anxious. So let's say we have a a husband who's carrying a lot of post-traumatic anxiety, the wife may become impatient because it's unpleasant to feel his anxiety or to have him saying, 
you know, why aren't, why are the children being so noisy when the wife is doing her best to keep things calm? And so then the wife reacts angrily in some state of distress, which triggers the husband's anxiety or anger. That response, of course, triggers the wife who, and then they start to fight about whose fault it is. Right. And the whole thing really, if you trace it back, started because somebody was in a heightened state of anticipation of, you know, fearful anticipation of some threat that's not really happening. Right. And, you know, the, for many people with post-traumatic stress, they wake up every morning in a state of dread or in a state of anxious um, anticipation, especially if they came from, from homes where there was a frightening or abusive parent. Um, you know, I, I, I did my doctoral dissertation research in a Jewish nursing home outside of Boston years and years ago. I interviewed 86 wonderful, wonderful elderly people. And so many of them had, I was doing a study on aging and memory, and many of them couldn't remember what they just said a few minutes ago, but they had crystal clear memories. They could tell me in detail about the invasion of their villages by the Cossacks. I mean, it was, it was really, it was really incredible. And it was so intense it, to think they were talking about things that had happened when they were children. And, it, and they had carried these memories all through their adult lives into their children's and grandchildren's lives. Right, that's a lot of fear. If your body learns to be afraid in your own home, in your own village, when you're a small child, you're gonna wake up every morning waiting for that shoe to drop. Wow. Can you, can you, can you give us some hope? Yes, I'm happily. <laughs> And that's one of the reasons why I decided to, to become a consultant to Fresh Start because, because I feel like Fresh Start is one of those beacons of hope. The best news, what helps me wake up every day feeling excited about what I do is that we can heal the effects of trauma if we just recognize it, if we're not afraid to say that it exists, if we don't consider it shameful or weak, we have a chance to help people live a life beyond trauma, which is again, something that can be achieved with our modern trauma treatment methods. And let me reassure your listeners, because the popular perception uh, that comes from television and magazines is that you have to talk about it before you can resolve it. That's not 
what we believe anymore. So many people avoid therapy or counseling because they think, I don't, I don't want somebody to make me talk about it. And, and so that fear keeps them from, from getting help. Mm-hmm. So but, you, you're 100% right, by the way. And, and, and let me add this, add to this. It's not just people don't want to, you know, they don't want to rehash the past. You know, that, I think that's fairly universal. I want to say culturally specific to the, you know, religious Jewish community. I think there's a, there's a prevalent attitude. And, and it may be, to a certain extent, it may be a, a correct attitude of, why do I have to focus on negativity? What's done is done. It's in the past. Why do you want me to bring it up again? And, and you're almost validating that and saying, you're right. Right. But it's in your body. So we have to do something about that. But I don't have to sit and talk about it like, like, uh, like Freud wanted us to sit and talk for hours and hours and hours and figure out, you know, that I'm really, I'm mad at my mother. And I don't have to do that. No, 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 no. You don't have to do that. Right, so we, we own, I actually just published my, a new book, it came out a month ago, called Transforming the Living Legacy of Trauma. And it's, it's not about telling what happened, it's about recognizing how past events are still affecting our minds and bodies and what we can do about those effects. I think that is so important for people to hear because, you know, I, I see a lot of people who they do really harmful things to themselves. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a lot of high-risk behaviors or addictions and really, you know, and they destroy their lives. And, and, you know, a lot of times the family will reach out and say, what do I do? What do I do? How do I make them stop this? And right. sometimes one of the things I will say to them is, listen, whatever pain they're avoiding by engaging in this destructive behavior, as painful as the destructive behavior is, it's clearly less painful than facing the underlying pain. Right. So... You know, it's like if there's something there that's so deep and dark that I'd rather destroy my life than deal with it, it's very hard to tell somebody, now go and, and let's talk about that thing. Right. As opposed to go and understand how that thing, which we don't have to talk about, how that thing is still affecting you now. Let's get rid of its power over you. All that's required for healing from trauma is to acknowledge that trauma occurred. So I don't have to sit on the couch and talk about it and describe it and analyze it. No, 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 no. This yeah. is a huge newsflash to many people. Yes, and I'm so glad we were able to talk about it. It's so important for people to know. I get so angry when I hear on some television program, oh, all you have to do is talk about it. 
<laughs> and I, I get so enraged. I want to say, no, no, that's not right. You're giving false information to people and scaring them. Yeah, scaring them away from getting help. Exactly. Now, let me, I do have to add that it's important to get specialized help. And so, so one of the things that I, I've been talking about with Fresh Start is tr are trying to create a, a directory of therapists who are specialists, because many therapists are still on the couch saying, talk about what happened. Mm. But, but there are special, there are specialized therapists, therapists who've had a lot of training in the newest methods. And, uh, and that's a very different story. This is, uh, I think, very, very good news, very empowering news, very hopeful news. And, um, you know, whenever I have one of these discussions, it's always my hope that one person will be helped. And um, I, I'm sure that will happen from this discussion. I'm sure right. someone will right. be helped. Now go back to your, you know, other shoe is going to drop analogy, which I love. You know, if you're, if you're sitting there just knowing that other shoe is going to drop, it's not going to help to talk about the first day your neighbor's shoe dropped <laughs> or the time your father's shoe dropped, right? That's not going to help because you're sitting there and you're feeling anxious and irritated and on guard. Right? That's what we have to change. Wow. We, we have to acknowledge the past. That's important. Right, because if we don't acknowledge the past, then we get ourselves yeah. in a muddle because then we're blaming either us or other people. Mm. We have to acknowledge the past, right? The past is still affecting me. I still have this fear. I still have this, this frustration. I still have this shame. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to go deep into exploring the past. We have to acknowledge it. But the, the, the main work is, well, it sounds like the beginning of the work is to acknowledge how is it affecting me in the present. Right. And then freeing myself from it for, for the future. Right. Which takes work, it takes practice, but it isn't what everybody is afraid of doing. Mm -hmm. that's, that's great news. That's really great news. I'm happy to be the bearer of that good news. Yeah, that's great. It's always good to be the bearer of good news. Yeah. You know, it, I, I just, my mind takes me always, you know, there's the micro and the macro. And we've spoken a lot about Jewish history. We've spoken about the macro. So I just want to take this back to the, 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 the macrocosm of Jewish history of thousands of years. I once heard it described like this, that as a, pe as a people, you know, we have a collective mission. And, and by the way, our mission is crazy. We believe in the perfection of the universe. We, we, we believe in the messianic perfection, right? Right, somebody has to. Somebody has to, right? Okay, so we're on this mission and it's like we're driving a car. 
and you, we're looking out the windshield, and we're going to our destination, which is world peace, you know, prosperity for, for all humanity, right? That's our messianic vision. At the same time, when you're driving, you have a rearview mirror. And in the rearview mirror are holocausts and pogroms and inquisitions. Mm, there. And it's there. But the windshield is a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. I have to have a rearview mirror, but it's, right. it's, it's got to be smaller. And I check it once in a while right. to make sure there's no danger, right? But my, my focus and, and the way that I get to my destination is by looking forward through the, through the windshield. Right, right. And then if your body makes you look over your shoulder more often than ahead, um, even though you might have gotten in the car and said, I'm not going to be focused on that rearview mirror. Your body still keeps making you do it. That's what we have to change. And, and if you keep staring in the rearview mirror, you're going to crash. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And this is, this is why one of the, the most fun and delightful projects I've been involved with besides Fresh Start lately is um is I've helped to to spearhead um the training of now close to a hundred therapists from the Orthodox community in New York in these body-centered approaches to trauma. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and it's it's just a wonderful thing. There's a huge resource there for people looking for help. You know, it, sa it says in, Pir in Pirkei Oves, in the ethics, it's uh, one of the things that the Anshe Knesset Agdelo, the men of the great assembly said is, talmidim harbe. you should raise up many disciples. Yeah. So you're, you're definitely doing that. You have your, your disciples who are carrying on the work. That's amazing. That I did not know that you had built an army. Yeah, yeah, well, um, I, I can't say I built the army all by myself, but... But it was, I'm very proud. It was my inspiration. And it's just been amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay. This a lot, is a yeah. lot of, in that, uh, in that front view to see ahead. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff on the horizon. By the way, I told Dr. Reggie Melrose the other day that one of the things that the prophet tells us is that when there will be world peace, in Hebrew, all flesh will see. The flesh, specifically, it won't be something in the mind. The body will perceive, right? Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I feel like that your work is part of us getting out of that exile mentality and into a redemptive messianic mentality to the point where flesh will be able to see the truth. And, right. and as far as I'm concerned, this is all part of, 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 of bringing Mashiach. So yeah, this yeah. is great stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's one of the, the wonderful things about Fresh Start is that it, it's, that's really what it's trying to do. Um, it's trying to provide that that 
environment in which people can begin to feel hope for redemption. And right? What could be better than that? Exactly, exactly. This is Shona Habab Yerushalayim. Next year in Jerusalem, you know, that's. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is incredible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I have enjoyed every moment of it. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you.